Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Broadcasting around the nation on your radio, on your TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Uh, did he say S hole or S house? And What's the difference? Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday, Tuesday, January 16, uh, the day after Martin Luther King Day. How about it? Great to see you today. And we very much appreciate the fact that you are on board as we start off another edition of the Bill Press Show, booming out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., We're just down the street from the United States Capitol building where they come rolling back into town today with a big deadline just three days from now, Friday evening, the government will shut down. All federal agencies will, except the Pentagon, will shut down. Social security checks will not be mailed. Uh, 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 You name it. I guess TSA stays in business, but otherwise across the board. If you depend on a federal agency, you will have to do without. At least that's the threat, unless they come up with some Mickey Mouse way of keeping things going again. And it looks like that's all they're going to be able to do because the president of the United States is all over the place, doesn't know what the hell he's doing, providing no leadership. And Republicans are still saying we will hold the dreamers hostage until we get Donald Trump's freaking wall. Uh, That's where things stand right now, Uh, and it doesn't look like they're going to get any better. But we'll dive all into all of the day's news here in just a second and give you a chance to sound off about it. We always love hearing from you and your comments on Twitter. It is open. Those Twitter lines are open to you right now. Send us your comments as we go through the show at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, one story we didn't talk about yesterday were the NFL playoffs. Uh, Over the weekend, we saw the Saints and the Vikings with a thrilling, thrilling game. The Saints were down, and then they came back to take the lead with just seconds left. But then the Vikings scored a touchdown as time expired to win the game. But here's the thing. There were a lot of fans in the stadium who were wearing Apple Watches. Now, as you know, Apple Watches monitors your 
heart rate, yes. oh. and your health. Oh. And there were multiple people who got warnings. <laughs> Apple Watch detected a heart rate that rose above 120 beats per minute oh while God. you appeared to be inactive during uh, a 10-minute period. So it monitors your... your so they thought they were having a heart attack. That's oh, how God. exciting the game was. The game was so crazy and so Whoa. insane that people at the game were getting alerted from their by their <laughs> Apple phones. That's funny. That they might yeah. be having a heart attack. So be yeah. careful while you're watching sports. Yeah, That's yeah. I, I mean, football may be fun, but it's not <laughs> worth a heart worth attack. It's over. Right. Uh, so marijuana legalization is sweeping the country, despite the fact that Jefferson Sessions says he's going to crack down on it. What kind of impact is it having on our communities? Well, you remember we talked a lot. We've talked a lot about the violence that happened at the border because of the drug trade. A lot of the marijuana coming over from Mexico, and there were lots of gang violence and things like that. Well, because we've legalized it, a new study came out that shows violent crime is down specifically at the border. This study was published in the Economic Journal. It shows that violent crime, robberies, murders, aggravated assaults fell by 12.5% in counties close to the border after the introduction of medical marijuana law. Huh. Whoa. Okay. So not only is it good for business, as we've talked about how good it is for uh, uh, yeah. you know, the economy and, and, and taxes That's, and things like that, it's also... Well, Jeff Sessions is just wrong. You know, he's on the great minds of the uh, 18th century. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one final story. China just built an experimental tower. It's over 100 meters tall, 328 feet. It is the world's largest air purifier. They said that this pure, this this giant tower has brought a noticeable improvement in air quality, according to the scientists that are looking at it. So this might be a way to help clean up the air. It's just a giant tower that filters the air. It sort of filters the air around the whole, like, four-mile radius. I can't believe that. Yeah, huh. believe New it. way. All right. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And can you believe it? Yes, public policy uh, in Washington, D.C. is now centered on whether or not Donald Trump said S-hole or S-house. You tell me. What is the difference? Hey, hello, everybody. Tuesday, January 16, it is the Bill Press Show. You know he said one of the two. Uh, and either one was a derogatory comment against uh, certain nations and, and anyone of color. Great to see you on this Tuesday, January 16. Thank you for joining us, the Bill Press Show. We are your progressive take uh, and progressive start to every single day as we uh, hopscotch through the news of the day from Washington, around the, uh, the, around the rest of the country, and around the globe, bringing it to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours on every platform that we can. Hey, we're with you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're joining you, of course, on TV, on Free Speech TV nationwide, and on the radio out in the greater Chicago area, WCPT, how about it? That proud, progressive voice of WCPT booming throughout the Chicago land and Indiana talks throughout the state of Indiana. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And don't forget, 
you're part of the program, we love hearing from you. We want to hear from you on our on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show, and we'll be checking that uh, Twitter account all through the uh, program. Uh, you know, we never start with any good news. I want to start with some good news today. This is my favorite story of the day. It is out of the small country. Uh, in South Africa, this is one of those S-hole countries, I guess, uh, called Lesotho. In Lesotho, they discovered something yesterday. They unearthed the biggest diamond like ever. Do you believe that? It wow. is a diamond that weighs more than a baseball. It is the one of the largest diamonds ever found, weighs 910 carats or 6.4 ounces. Just Dang. dug it up out of a mine down there. Prob worth probably tens of millions of dollars. Can you believe that? Hey, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. That's right. If you're looking to get a special gift. <laughs> it's Here it is. It's the fifth largest gem quality diamond ever found. It weighs more than a baseball, which is five ounces, and it weighs so about half as much as the human heart, which is 10 ounces. 6.4 ounces, just one diamond. Can you imagine Damn. some guy working in a mine down there, and he comes across this thing? Whoa. Man, I put that in my pocket and get out of there as fast as I could. Uh, <clears throat> I, wonder, I wonder if that poor worker, who probably is lucky to get minimum wage, gets any crack or any, you know, percentage of what that diamond will sell for. Oh, I think probably I, not. I think, I I think we know idea. the answer yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. How about it? That's nuts. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. That uh, that a uh, little bit of a glimmer there, a little bit of a uh of take some good news. A little bit of bling here to us uh, to uh, to start to start the day. Yeah, I saw that and I thought, holy mackerel, that's really uh, amazing. That's almost amazing as uh, how Donald Trump celebrated Martin Luther King Day yesterday. Yes, indeed, it is a day of public service. That's what uh, the presidents have done: President Clinton, President Bush, President Obama. They all set the tone. Remember President Obama particularly? I remember here in Washington, D.C., he'd always go out to uh, Martha's Table, uh, uh, a great uh, homeless shelter here, and, and uh, providing food for thousands of uh, homeless people and, uh, and down-and-out people here in Washington, D.C. He'd go out there with the First Lady, with the, with the daughters, setting the example for all of us that the way to uh, commemorate, to mark, uh, Martin Luther King Day was to do some form of public service, even if it was only an hour, even if it was only like a photo op for the President of the United States, at least to send the right message that we should be giving back in the spirit of Martin Luther King. We should be doing something to help those people who need it the most. They're not as well off as we are. Uh, Donald Trump, how did he spend Martin Luther King Day? He didn't do a damn minute of public service. He spent the day, of course, at his golf course uh, in um, near Mar-a-Lago, the same place that he spent all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and all day Monday before he got on the plane to come back to Washington, D.C. late yesterday afternoon. You know, the, th the thing about this No is public service. Th this, this feels awfully jarring, uh, specifically after we had the first African-American president of the United States of Barack Obama, who made such a big deal out of getting out and contributing to community, your community on Martin yeah. Luther King Day. But yeah. Barack Obama was not the first president to do this. No. 
George W. Bush did it. George I W. Bush him did there it there with Laura, first lady, and yeah. This is just that, sort of a kind of a tradition that has be- recently, in recent presidents, had started on Martin Luther King Day. It has become a tradition. Instead, uh, again, uh, Donald Trump at the golf course. So I thought it'd be uh, worth taking a look at. Uh, every time we turn around. Donald Trump's at the golf course. Donald Trump's at the golf course. Well, of course, the White House will not confirm that he plays golf at the golf course. But let me tell you, as a now former golfer, when you go to the golf course, you do not sit there and read the paper. You do not. uh, You're not working on a report. You're not having uh, important meetings. The golf course is there for one purpose only. It's to play golf. Yeah. And whether he plays nine holes or 18 holes, He's playing golf, okay? Let's face it. So uh, remember how the Republicans beat up on Barack Obama for playing so much golf when he was president. Okay. The numbers are, ready? Uh, In eight years, Barack Obama played 333 rounds of golf. That's a lot of golf. It's a lot more than I played in the eight years. He was out there, but 333 in eight years. So far this year, so far in his presidency, as of January 15, just um, yesterday, <laughs> uh, Donald Trump had played 95 rounds oh of golf. 95. Oh, oh, my God. In one year, a little less than a year from his presidency, which means at this pace, that was Mr. Lovia. at this pace, Your good friend. Donald Trump is online if he were to last eight years he is on at this pace he will play 772 rounds of golf i was gonna say that's over twice the amount yes at this rate he's playing over twice the golf Uh, yes Yes. Mm -hmm. who was yeah whom donald trump himself not just other republicans donald trump himself attacked mercilessly for playing too much golf he play i mean trump is playing twice as much as obama did Twice as much. And by the way, so, by the, you know, I, I, I just want to say, I don't have a problem with a president playing golf. I mean, I'd rather have him on the golf course than in the Oval Office, frankly. Sure. But let's let's drop the hypocrisy, okay? Let's just, let's just, or let's just accept the hypocrisy for what it is. Pure, outright hypocrisy on the part of every Republican who ever criticized Barack Obama and Donald Trump. You show me one Republican who says Donald Trump is playing too much golf, spending too much time on the golf course. Yeah, I'll give you $1,000. They won't do it because it's Donald Trump. And, by the way, also, um, what is this costing us? Never think about that. I mean, for the president to go to the golf course, it is not a walk in the park. It is not something that just happens for free. Think about all the extra security that's needed to get the president around the golf course. Think about the Secret Service agents who go ahead of him, who go behind him, who are on the sides, off the fairways, making sure that nobody else, nobody comes near him, nobody gets on the golf course. You know, we only, tens of millions of dollars we play, we've paid for Donald Trump's little golf exercise. Just want to start that that's how he spent Martin Luther King Day. Uh, the rest of us spent most of the day, I guess, debating. Now, here's the deal, right? We know that Senator Durbin 
and Lindsey Graham went down to the White House the other day for a meeting. So let's just, let's, before we get into the word game, uh, let's just back up and talk about how this all came down. So two days before, the president had had this big meeting in the cabinet room with all those members of the House and the Senate around. And that's the famous one where Dianne Feinstein said, let's just do a clean DACA deal and then get to the rest of immigration later. And Donald Trump said, oh, man, that's the way to go. Boom, sold. And then Kevin McCarthy comes in and says, whoa, wait a minute, Mr. President. Uh, you know, sort of like reading between the lines. You don't know what you're talking about, Mr. President. You can't do that. And then Donald Trump immediately changed his mind. That famous meeting. But at that meeting, Donald Trump said, there are four things I need in any immigration bill. Got to do the dreamers. We got to do what he calls chain migration or family migration. We got to do border security. And we got to do something about this lottery system. So he said there are four things. Okay. Well, Dick Durbin, Lindsey Graham, and four others, three Republicans, three Democrats, came back to the Senate. They sat down. And they put a bill together. They put a deal together, all four of those points. Dick Durbin calls the president and says, Mr. President, we got a good plan. This is uh, two mornings ago, and just the end of last week, at any rate. And, um, and the president says, well, is Lindsey on board? And Dick Durbin said, oh, yeah, he's like the co-chair of this group. And Trump says, well, come on down to the White House. This is great news. You got a deal. Come on down to the White House at noon. How about be in my office at noon? So Durbin and Lindsey Graham go down there together thinking they're going to meet with the president and, and explain this deal, and it's all going to be done. And they get down there, and in the Oval Office already are Tom Cotton, David Perdue, my, I think maybe Kevin McCarthy, hardliners on immigration who don't want any deal whatsoever. They've already talked to Trump, and Trump is already ready as already, the Trump who had endorsed the deal earlier in the day is now prepared to say, no, I don't like this deal because these guys told me it's, it's bad news. So, again, flip-flops just like that. And it's in that meeting that Donald Trump said, we don't need people. What are we, what are we getting all these people? I'm paraphrasing here anyhow. From those either S-hole countries, that's how Dick Durbin heard it, or S house countries. We need more people from Norway, is what he says, instead of from Haiti, El Salvador, or African countries. Now, uh, Dick Durbin mentioned, this is what the president said, Lindsey Graham said, he's never said outright that's what he said, but he did say what the president said was so offensive, I told him it was offensive, and he has not contradicted Dick Durbin. But then you've got Tom Cotton and David Perdue who speak up and say, oh, no, no, no. We don't. First, they said, uh, we don't recall that. Uh, yesterday, then, then yesterday, they said, uh, no, he did not say that. And now we know what they're talking about because it's been leaked out of the White House. White House staffers who, who were there actually say that the, pres- the word the president used was not S whole but S house. Okay. That's what Tom, when Tom Cotton says, I didn't hear him say that. That's what he mean. He didn't hear him say S whole. He heard him say S house as if that makes it any better. Dick Durbin yesterday, Peter, we said, does he have a nickname yet? 
We have one now. We have one now. Dickie. Dickie Durbin. God. Yeah. Dickie. Dickie Durbin. Uh, that's what the president now calls him. Well, Senator Durbin yesterday said, hey, listen, I stand by my account, but what's going on? I don't believe the majority of Americans agree with the president, whichever word is used. I don't believe that a majority of the Republican Party agrees with the president, whichever word is used. Yeah. And as Durbin points out, what is the difference? I stick with my original interpretation. I am stunned that this is their defense. By the way, I have to read this uh, from the yeah. Washington Post. They have an account of, so, uh, they've talked to some people mm-hmm. in the White House. Yeah. It's just this paragraph from this Washington Post story. By Thursday evening, many White House aides were concerned that the story was exploding beyond the usual level for a Trump controversy. But they carried on with their plans for the night, a send-off for Deputy National Security Advisor Dina Powell, a former Goldman Sachs executive and ally of Jared Kushner of Ivanka Trump. Nearly every top official ducked into the exclusive Italian restaurant, Cafe Milano in Georgetown. There was little effort to significantly push back on the story that night because aides knew that Trump had said it and it wasn't and and, right. and that the president <laughs> wasn't even too upset, according with people in the talks. Now, this is consistent with what other people have said, that he thought it would play well with his base. With his base. Yeah. And this is right. like they, they didn't deny it for days but until the, the Sunday I, show. The idea that Tom Cotton and and David and David Perdue, right, from Georgia. Right. Yep, yep are defending Trump on this because he said S house instead of S whole is just absolutely disgusting. And again, what is the difference? The difference is not that what's important here is not the word that he used. What's important is that he, this, the spirit and the sentiment expressed, which is that people of color, people from Haiti or El Salvador or African, certain African countries are not worth as much to the United States as white people from Norway. It is an absolutely outright racist statement. Donald Trump, in effect, is saying we need more white people here. We don't need any more brown or black people here. There is no other way to interpret that remark. That's what it means. It is outright racist and consistent with all the racist things that Donald Trump has said and done, going back to the 70s again, when he was uh, sued by the United States Justice Department for refusing to rent apartments, he and his father, uh, to, uh, to African-Americans. So that's, that's what's important here. And the idea that we're off on this word game and worrying about this word is just, uh, is just insane. Uh, and I think the American people are getting it. It's a big protest up in um, New York. Well, protests all over the country. One particular in Times Square yesterday where uh, reporters were asking people, um, what do you think about uh, Donald Trump? Here are just a couple of people from that uh, protest. One woman saying, hey, remember he started his campaign attacking Mexicans. Now he's attacking everybody. When he was running for president, he was talking about the Mexicans, right? That was our first introduction of disrespect. And people said, oh, let it go, let it go. It's about business. Now you see it's going on and going on. Yeah. And the question asked to these uh, some of the people at the rally, do you think Donald Trump's a racist? I believe Donald Trump is a racist. It seems like he's just a racist. Is President Trump a racist? Yes. 100%. <laughs> yes. 100%. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things that happened around the Martin Luther King holiday is uh, that uh, little Mikey Pence and mother 
uh, at least they did something to yeah give, give them credit for this. They they made some effort to commemorate the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. They went out to an African American church, uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church in suburban Washington. Uh, they might not have expected what they got from the pastor, Pastor Maurice Watson, who talked about the president's uh, remarks. Uh, and uh, I just, here, here's what I envision. Mike Pence and mother sitting there uh, must be very uncomfortable hearing the pastor. Well, by the way, someone pointed out that Mike Pence, during the pastor's speech, became red-faced, either from embarrassment or anger or whatever, <laughs> but he, his, his tone had a notable shift. Uh, yes, here he is. It is pastor, Wilson. alleged Watson. that a hurtful, dehumanizing, visceral, guttural, <laughs> ugly Drag it out, baby. adjective <laughs> that I care not to repeat in church mm-hmm. was allegedly used to characterize some of the nations of Africa. And the pastor goes on, uh, not only that, he said bad things about black people, but he said good things about white people. And a statement was made that we ought to welcome people from Norway (laughs) more than we welcome people from Haiti. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I stand today as your pastor to vehemently denounce and reject such characterizations. Whoever said it is wrong. And they ought to be held accountable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that applause, I'm not sure we heard Mike Pence and Mother applauding there. I don't think they were clapping there. No, I don't <laughs> think so. By the way, uh, when I move on from this show, I want everyone to know that my next job will be mm-hmm. the keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Whenever, be, whenever a, a mm-hmm. pastor is giving a fiery oh, sermon, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Play, and I just want to sit there and play the dulcet mm-hmm. tones while oh, someone no, just rips him apart. That is a great gig. It is. Absolutely. No, but uh, good for that pastor for not feeling that he had to uh, butter up to the vice president of the United States or ignore uh, what the president of the United States had said uh, just the day before. Uh, uh, And that kind of wrapped up. But where does that leave us? I got to tell you, it leaves us in a bad place because we are now uh, because of Donald Trump's uh, uh, vulgar remarks, uh, even less likely to get a deal by the end of the week, that's the deadline, uh, to keep the government going, at least not a deal that includes any protection for the Dreamers, which is sad. What it means, it looks like, is, I mean, this gang that's in charge of the House and the Senate and the White House, I mean, they couldn't they couldn't run a 7-Eleven let alone the United States government. Uh, so once again, we're coming up to a funding deadline. What looks like is most likely to happen now is they will kick the Dreamers down the road again because it's not until March 5 that the Dreamers program expires. And can we just take quick time out to point out that the Dreamers program was doing fine. 
The treatment program was going right along right fine with over 700,000 people in it. It would still be going great today. There was no problem with the Dreamers program. It wasn't out of money. It was working. Protected a lot of people. It's a great program. The only reason we're in this mess today is because Donald Trump didn't like it. He wanted to throw them all out of the country. So he ripped the Dreamers program out of where it was and threw it to Congress unilaterally, unnecessarily, cruelly, mean, meaningly, or meaninglessly, if you will, whatever, and threw it to Congress and said, this program's going to expire. I order it. It's going to expire. We're going to deport all these people by March, or sub subject to deportation, by March 5, unless you, Congress, come up with some other plan. That's why we're in this mess today. Donald Trump started. So, back to where we go. It looks like, again, they're not going to resolve it. They're going to they're going to wait, and they'll come up with some little Mickey Mouse plan to keep the government going for another two or three weeks while, once again, they try to make a deal on Dreamers. And, you know, think about it. Again, we've gone over this so many times. There is no reason that the Dreamers should be a, a, a bargaining chip, that they should be held hostage at all in these negotiations, because in and of themselves, they have a special status. You can't stress this too often. That's why 70% of the American people, including a majority of Donald Trump supporters, say, "Let leave the dreamers alone. Give them protected status. Kids who were brought to this country by their parents, yeah, they were brought here legally. They don't know where they were going. They've lived nowhere else. They speak the English language. They have gone to school or they're in school. They have jobs. Many have served in the military. They pay taxes. They're the future, part of the future fabric of this country. And they got here again. No, They had nothing to do with their decision. They should not be punished for the sins of their mothers and fathers. It's like, you know, it's like a kid who is brought into a bar. Okay, yeah, it's illegal for that five-year-old to be in the bar. You have to be 21. But you don't throw the five-year-old in jail because his father took him into the bar with him. I mean, it's just insane. And why Republicans cannot understand these dreamers are in a special category in and of themselves, and we ought to take care of them. You know why? Because they are heartless, and they're only concerned about getting that damn wall that Donald Trump wants, and they'll give Donald Trump anything that he wants. It is disgusting, but that's exactly where we are. And any, any idea that we are making any progress toward a not comprehensive immigration reform, but just a, um, a solution to the shutdown, keeping government running, and taking care of the dreamers at the same time, which is what Republicans said they would do before Christmas, that we'll take care of this right after the beginning of the year. Any chance of that now is out the window because of Donald Trump's comments about these S-hole or S-house countries uh, in Central America and Latin and, uh, and Africa. Uh, it's so disgusting to watch this happen. The, the, these people are not worthy of the responsibilities that the American people have given them. They are totally inept. When we come back, Tom LoBianco joins us. Uh, we remember him from CNN. He's still a good friend now with Associated Press. And uh, he is a man who knows more than anybody else about Mike Pence. He covered him in Indiana. Uh, we'll uh, be joined by Tom LoBianco and all of you. Don't forget, send us your comments 
on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it on a Tuesday, January 16? Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Or welcome to the program. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. President came back to Washington uh, yesterday evening, uh, and the House and the Senate come back today to try to resolve this little thing called a uh, government shutdown, uh, which will uh, happen unless they uh, prevent it on Friday at midnight. We're coming to you live from Washington and uh, brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, those great men and women of the Iron Workers Union. They are building our communities today and ready to rebuild our infrastructure tomorrow. If Congress ever gets its act together, check out their website at www.ironworkers.org. Uh, and uh, taking uh, a look, good look and careful look every day at what's happening in the White House, in the Congress, House and the Senate. Tom Lobianco, now with Associated Press AP, joining us in studio. Oh, Tom, good to see you. Well, good to see you. Happy New Year. Likewise. Yeah, there's, uh, not that there's anything going on at the White House these days, right? <laughs> it's pretty quiet. But you um, were with AP before you then went to CNN, back at AP now, uh, in Indiana. Yeah, Covering Mr. Pence yes. as uh, governor, I, I knew you were here in the at the end of the uh, last uh, half hour when we heard Mike Pence going out for <laughs> Martin Luther King Day and uh, getting an earful from the from the pastor there. Yeah, uh, what's you know this guy? He can't be totally comfortable with Donald Trump and some of the things that Donald Trump says and does. Yeah, you know, right? I, I, mean, I, I think that's I think that's been reported on before, but I think that's pretty understood that he's not a he's not always a fan of what what things are said, how they're said. Um, although he you know he does tend to be pretty deferential in public. Um, he's not one of these guys like a <laughs> pretty deferential. Like, well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, he's overboard deferential. I think. Let but me. I'm saying privately, right. Let's, for example, let's go back to the Access Hollywood tape. Right. I mean, Pence uh, reportedly almost took himself off the ticket after that came out. Right. That was, uh, you know, it was him and it was Karen. and uh, Mother? The, um, yeah, the uh, second lady, Karen Pence, uh, of course, you know, was, was livid, I mean, based on everything I've heard, based on the reporting we've seen. Um, so... Uh, yeah, stuff like this happens, this S-hole, S-house, whatever you want to call right, it. You know, right. it's pretty vulgar, whatever it is, you know, derogatory, um, however you put it. It's a phrase that Mike Pence himself would not have used. No. Was that do- safe he, to say? No, he doesn't curse. He doesn't drink, he doesn't curse. Oh, God. Um, well, two, reasons, <laughs> two, more reasons, two more reasons not to like him. He doesn't oh, drink, no. he doesn't curse, he doesn't have fun. You know, that's, that's just that's who he is. I come on the Bill Press show just to drink and curse. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's why we like you. That's the perks of the job. We invite you, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but you're writing a book about Pence. Yeah, uh, we um, uh, hoping to uh, finish the finish writing this within the year. You know, knock on wood. Um, and uh, it's a it's a biography of the vice president. Um, focus on all the the major points in his life. Uh, we're going to try to explore. Uh, uh, you know his his uh, beginning in politics, his rise, his ascension uh, here in Washington th- from uh, through Congress. the House. Yeah, yep. Um, and get into his dynamics. Um, you know, in, inside the Trump White House, uh, their their relationship, 
and uh, would he ever everything? Would he ever get so disgusted that he would challenge Donald Trump in, in 2020? I don't think he can. I, 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 seriously, I, I don't think he can because I think that he'd have to his, if he if he stepped down as vice president, he could. I mean, he right, could legally. Yeah, There's it, nothing to prevent him. But I think I don't think is that he in would, his rather. gut, right? Yeah, because he made a strategic decision uh, in, in in the middle of the 2016 race, where he's you know for whatever reason said this is you know this is the best way to the White House, and um, aligned himself with Trump, and he's and he has to be able to marshal the Trump base in some way, shape, or form, and you know he can't do that through uh, tone and demeanor the way that Trump can. But he can do it through loyalty. Um, you've seen a, it, to the to the deferential over over deferential yeah. uh, point. Um, so I don't think he would ever outwardly challenge Trump. Um, I, I, I doubt that would ever happen. It would have to be pretty spec. I mean, Access Hollywood didn't do it. Uh, Charlottesville didn't do it. The S House S hole whatever mm-hmm. derogatory comments doesn't do it. Um, it would have to be something pretty spectacular. Uh, to make that happen. Uh, as if the right. others are not, right? Right. Uh, well, then there's a, there's a big debate among Democrats, uh, and it may not be fair to drag you in this debate, but at least I'd yeah. like to get your, sure. your comments on it, uh, which I, I got into again as recently as yesterday with a friend, um, whether or not we'd be better off, the, you know, the idea of Get rid of Trump, right? Okay, impeach him, 25th Amendment, whatever. Get rid of Trump. And, but then people point out, no, then we'd, be, we'd have Mike Pence. <laughs> so for those, here's the question. Yeah. I think I can fairly oppose the question. For those who don't like Donald Trump, yeah. would they be better off with Trump or with Mike Pence? Would tra- 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 Pence be an improvement or even worse? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do you um, if if you're you know liberal Democrat, progressive, left of center, how, however, do you have more heart palpitations under Trump or Pence? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you already are getting a lot of the same of what you would get anyway, no matter whether it's Trump, Pence, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, whoever would be in there, because. Um, you had the Supreme Court nominee, uh, the confirmation mm-hmm. of right. Gorsuch. You had the um, uh, this large number of uh, court um, picks uh, go through. Um, you had the tax uh, reform. Tax cuts. Yeah. Um, you had the uh, the stripping of regulations. Um, you know the undoing via executive power. The same thing that Obama was doing via executive power. The inverse. And but couldn't I, you make the argument that Pence is a better a really a better dealer. He may not have written a book called The Art of the Deal, but he knows Congress and he knows how to get things done. And he might be actually more effective because he's not going to maybe uh, derail things the way Trump does every time they're moving toward some resolution of some issue. That's and a good Trump point. throws a nuclear bomb out there with some of his comments. And you know, if you look at the, um, if, if realistically, if you ever want to do anything, really, you have to have sixty. Um, because you're always, if you're doing 51, you're always yeah. bumping up against the bird roll. Right. And uh, you're always, you, you're almost, you're always going to have trouble um, if you are a Republican, if you're a conservative, you're always going to have trouble bringing in uh, Murkowski and uh, Collins into the fold or keeping them there. Um, but I, that's a good point because I think you wouldn't, you wouldn't lose people like Flake or McCain 
who might just be so out, outright disgusted. Uh, yeah, as a Democrat, as a, as a progressive, uh, I think Pence would be more dangerous uh, because he would be more effective. He's more quietly effective, you know, than a than a Donald Trump, and I think he has a better. I think I think people in Congress would respect him more than they respect yeah. Donald Trump. He's kind of one of them. You know? He is. Yeah. There's those. There there are those relationships. And he's there. about as well. You tell me. He's not a an establishment. Um, middle of the road Republican, right? Well, isn't I'll he? Tease, I'll tease the book here a little bit. Isn't he about as conservative a Republican as you can get? I'm going to tease this a, okay. a little bit right. here. I don't want to give away anything. But do you have um, a working title of the book? Uh, we're just calling it Pence at this point. Pence. All right. Pretty simple. I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Don't don't mess it up. Yeah. Um, it hasn't always been that way. Really? Yeah, and huh. we and we know about the the conversion from you know Irish Catholic Democrat Jimmy Carter, uh, youth coordinator uh, in Indiana, to uh, Reagan Republican. That that we're well aware of. But I'm just going to yeah. tease this a little bit. Um, he hasn't always been a uh, uh, arch conservative. Hard edged, yeah, not a Tea Party conservative. I, I would say <clears> definitely <throat> conservative, but yeah. not always a, in huh. the Tea Party mold. Hmm. Um, so there's. Well, as we see him today, I think you'd have to paint him on the far right of the Republican Party. Yeah, and you know it was so funny to me watching him through the campaign when he gave up uh, free market um, uh, concepts, free trade, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and start talking about you know, fair trade uh, and the you know protecting workers and in, in trade deals. I, I was astounded <laughs> to watch that. Yeah, because huh. I mean that was like a, for him. Among many other things, was it was a key principle. Now, other things he didn't give up on, right? Tax cuts, for instance. Uh, you know, but I think he's more flexible um, than than we might than we might understand uh, publicly. Um, what is happening on? Um, you, you've you've also reported that this week is a pretty big week for the House Intelligence right. Committee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the return of. Steve Bannon. <laughs> right. Yes. So so uh, Steve Bannon, former uh, White House strategist, um, uh, lately of uh, the treasonous comment from the uh, that Michael Wolff book, right. um, is uh, due up before the House Intelligence Committee today. And uh, we expect that uh, former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski will be before the Intelligence Committee uh, later this week, possibly Thursday. Boy, you know, Steve Bannon has kind of disappeared from... Uh... From sight, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I never heard that. Uh, I haven't seen anything about the fact that he's testifying today. So, what are they going after Bannon on? This is all yeah. part of the continuing Russian collusion investigation, correct? Right. So, but yeah, this, this is, is part House of the Russian Intelligence investigation. Committee. Yeah. Um, and it's and, and an important question to ask because there are so many counter investigations now. Um, that he could be testifying on. But this is the Russia investigation inside the House, the House Intelligence Committee. And um, uh, we don't know specifically what they plan to ask him. They're very, as you know, uh, on the Intel Committee, they're very uh, skittish about releasing information on these things. Uh, But we do know that he has been in place for, you know, almost all of the key events uh, that are being investigated in Congress uh, by Mueller. Uh, and and whoever and whoever else um, uh, through the end of the campaign uh, into mm-hmm. the transition into the White House 
he was there for Comey's firing. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that you, you surely would expect to be asked about. Uh, he was there uh, when these meetings with uh, former ambassador Sergey Kislyak uh, mm-hmm. were going on. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you would expect that to be asked about as well. Um, you know, would he? W- another interesting. Do we question. know was he in, was he present at any of these meetings with uh, Ambassador Kislyak? Um. Oh boy, make me go back through the index here. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't, I don't think just... so. I don't. I don't think so because it was sessions. Then there was one at the RNC. Um, there was this meeting at the Mayflower, and then Hotel. the famous meeting in the Oval Office a day after uh, Trump fired Comey with Kislyak and um, the Foreign Minister. Um, oh right. Oh, that's you know he where, might... where Trump hmm. uh, famously uh, gave away some Israeli intelligence. Oh, I forgot about and also, that one. And also yeah. bra- bragged about I had to get that monkey off my back. That's why I fired Comey because, yeah. So oh, I, I don't know. I, in Oval Office, I don't know whether Baden was there. I was just trying to remember m- myself. He but, might have been there for that one because he was still. Uh, so Chief is Baden the target of the, of the investigation? Not, not so, by not by our understanding. Um, and, and and just to be clear, uh, this is only the House Intelligence Committee. Right. Right. Um, we we don't know whether he has or will speak with the Senate Intelligence Committee. We don't know whether he has or will speak with Mueller. Uh, so um, you know, important, but don't want also don't want to overstate it. Right. And then Corey Lewandowski, yes. campaign manager, also b- before the House Intelligence Committee later in the week. And I guess again, he would have been present uh, as campaign manager after following Palm. Was he before or after Paul he was Manafort? Ma- yeah, before Manafort. Before they, Manafort. They, they, swamp, but, they swamped him out there. But one, one would um, expect, I guess, that he would have some knowledge of whatever contacts there were. I right? think. And whatever meetings were held. For, for, for Lewandowski, um, yeah, you have to ask about that. The, the, uh, the thing that you need to focus on is George Papadopoulos. Because Papadopoulos was sending back these missives, right. you know, with promises of let's, you know, get Trump together with Putin um, you know, I have these contacts in Russia, um, et cetera. And um, one of those people he was reporting back to, he was reporting back to Sam Clovis. And we know that there's a lot of interest in Sam Clovis. Um, but the other person he was reporting back to was Corey Lewandowski. Hmm. And uh, there's there's some big questions there as to, as to what he knows about that. Now, this will be Corey Lewandowski's second time on the Hill uh, before Russia investigators to Three months ago, I'm sorry, October last year, three or four months ago, whatever, um, <clears throat> he testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee. So now he's coming before the House Intelligence Committee. And it, do we know that uh, Mueller has or plans to talk to Corey Lewandowski? Don't know that one. Yeah. So where is the Russian investigation in general? And the main one is Robert Mueller's investigation, right? Right. right. I mean, that's the one that clearly is not tied up in politics of the moment, that he's just charging forward. Um, is it winding down, as the White House says, or is it just <laughs> gearing up? I mean, we haven't heard from him since Michael Flynn. First it was Papadopoulos right. and, and Paul Manafort and uh, Rick Gates. Then it was Michael Flynn. Is there another shoe going to drop? What do we know? I mean, the thing that you know, I think keeps me up at night and a lot of other reporters who cover this up at night is, you know who who's going to be the next Papadopoulos, the guy that we had no idea about, who they you know who they pinched, you know three months prior, and then you see all the details come out in the court you know in a court filing, 
and um, you know, all of a sudden you're scrambling to figure out who this, you know, who this guy is. Well, there may That's, not be another s- secret one, but I mean, like Michael Flynn, we were pretty sure was right, going to get nagged, right? Snag, right, and and among the people that we suspect would be Donald Jr., Jared Kushner. I don't know. There else? seems to maybe be maybe Ivanka. I don't yeah, know, but wh- I mean, there where, seems where to does be he int- go next? There seems to be interest in in Kushner. Um, you know, again, Kushner was identified in the Flynn documents uh, as as being the person who asked Flynn to reach out to Kislyak. Um, and I forget whether that was December twenty second or the 29th of two thousand sixteen. But in one of those interactions, there, Kushner was the the unidentified person in, in the documents. Um, so there seems to be some clear interest there, based on what we know already. Um, you know, I, I like to make this distinction about the the congressional investigations and the Mueller investigation. The Mueller investigation is the one that has the hammer. It has the force of law behind it. Uh, it has uh, subpoena, FBI, uh, investiga- investigatory power, et cetera. Um, that is the power. Um, but don't dismiss the congressional investigations because that is our best public window into what's happening. Uh, and, you, and you see a lot of pressure right now um, from some of the Republican members of the committee uh, to uh, wrap those up uh, soon. And they have some pretty good arguments there, too, where they say that, you know, they seem to be the Democrats on the committee seem to be spinning their wheels in these uh, in these uh, interviews that they have and that they're not coming up with anything new. They seem to be fishing like, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, whatever. Um, but for our purposes as journalists, the public, people who are trying to fi- get some insight into what, what happened and what is happening, I think the congressional investigations are, are one of our best outlets. Uh, that's where we find – that's where we get information from. Um, so they might not result in prosecutions. They might not result in uh, you know people getting carted off to jail, whatever. Um, but it's a, it's a great window. Will the – if the special counsel, well, let me, no, let me ask it this way: Can Robert Mueller complete his investigation without talking to Donald Trump? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I would think that you would have to speak with the president, right? So uh, I, I do too. So if Mueller requests such an interview with the president, yeah, can the president turn him down? Oh. Well, oh, that's a good question. I, I don't. I don't. Um, uh, can you subpoena the president? Um, well, the Supreme Court once ruled yeah. that Bill Clinton had to testify. You are correct, sir. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Paul so, Jones. I mean, Tom, Donald Trump may try may try it, but I think he's going to have to. He, that he was, now have that to, was a civil case, though, though, right? Wasn't him. it? The civil case, uh, Paul Jones. Uh, it was they, a special uh, counsel. I, I, oh. I you got me on that, but but. But I don't think the president's not above the law. Let's just let's, let's yeah. Despite let's what he it. says, despite what he yeah, despite what <laughs> right. he says, and despite how he acts. So um, I think that's where we're heading at some point. At any rate, there uh, was a great, there was an interesting article in the journal. I think it was last week where they said that um, Pence has said that he won't. Uh, uh, they they don't want to have Pence speak with congressional investigators. So I think there's an inclination right there of where you know Pence and Trump together as the as the top of the administration. Well, that's another question. If if uh, if Trump is guilty of obstructing obstruction of justice because of through his firing of James mm-hmm. Comey, for example, to try to shut down an investigation that was leading to an indictment of Michael Flynn, and we know what happened. Instead, we get a special counsel, and now Michael Flynn has been indicted. Um, 
Mike Pence is also going to would be trapped in caught in that same net, wouldn't he? Because he was the director of the transition. Uh, he was there uh, through all the key meetings. Uh, he was, um, uh, and he certainly had to know why Donald Trump was firing Michael Flynn. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a funny dichotomy for him, and you know it's been I think that 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 Flynn. Um, a plea deal when it came out really kind of put a laser focus on Pence's um, dichotomy of, you know, uh, stating that he's in the know, that he's in the loop, right. um, that he's a key advisor, et cetera, but then but, being absent, but, you know, when when the S hits but, the fan. But pleading, but pleading ignorance. Now, you mentioned about uh, the Congress, uh, and uh, that is our window. Uh, not always, because sometimes they have their Witnesses, uh, and they do their work behind closed doors, which they did when they interviewed uh, Glenn Simpson uh, from Fusion GPS about the work of of this opposition research firm, originally hired by Republicans, then hired by Democrats to look into uh, Donald Trump's possible connections with the Russian government, uh, and they compiled their famous dossier. Right. Right. Uh, that testimony was all in secret until Don, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein said, I think the uh, uh, the American people have a right to know what's in this dossier, uh, what was in his testimony. Right. The dossier had already been published by BuzzFeed, but his testimony. And so she um, made it public. Yeah. Did she do the right thing? As a journalist, yes, absolutely. I think it should all be public. You know, I'm not going to. That's a journalist's that. answer, of course. That, 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 that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. You know, now, if you got, if you Chuck, got all of Chuck Grassley, yeah. might, oh, Chucky, <laughs> Chucky might not agree with you, but uh, I, 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 you know, you have to ask. I believe what was the reason for keeping it secret? The well, only reason the, for keeping it secret was it would embarrass Donald Trump. And Republicans. Yeah, you, but you, if you're running an investigation, I understand why they want to, you know, if you're running an investigation, you want to hold your cards close to the vest. You don't want things getting out there, people playing, you know, information against you, whatever. <clears throat> but it was interesting at the beginning of that transcript, uh, they, um, I think they went through a discussion where they note that it's, you know, these are not, this is not classified information, but we're also not going to, you know, try to release it. Um, so they have a discussion about the uh, the parameters of this. Look, it's not a crime to release it, it, the it interviews, transcripts, whatever from these meetings. Carter Page uh, in the House Intelligence Committee uh, requested that his um, uh, interview go in out. In this case, Glenn Simpson requested that his pu- testimony be made public. He didn't. Exactly. He wasn't trying to hide it. Right. Exactly. Uh, I would love to see all of them. I, I think we all would love to see all of them. Um, you know, and, that, and that's sort of the danger to this this question of the partisan fighting on the House committee and, and whatnot. I think that's the real danger if you're um, if you're uh, the Republican leadership. The danger is that maybe the Democrats say the heck with it and start giving stuff out. They haven't done that so far, uh, with the exception of Feinstein in the Senate, of course, and in that one instance. And what did we learn from either the dossier or Glenn Simpson's testimony that you think was the most telling? There was that one piece where uh, he uh, cited uh, Steele, Christopher Steele, saying that there was a human contact, a contact inside the Trump administration or the Trump campaign who knew about what was going on. Um, that was interesting. And we don't know who that is yet. No, I, I don't know. Um, maybe someone, I mean, someone obviously does, but no, we don't, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah. And from what we know, uh, Mueller has, uh, 
uh, has spoken to Christopher Steele, or he's talked to the FBI at any rate, maybe yeah. not Mueller personally, and that they are, um, uh, I've been told that they uh, they take the dossier very seriously, even though Republicans are doing everything they can to discredit it. Well, Tom LoBianco, we look forward. Uh, we still got a ways to go before the Pence book yeah. comes out, but congratulations. <laughs> Thank good, you, Bill. Good luck on that. Thanks. And uh, thanks so much for coming in, and good luck yeah, on the man. new job. Congrats <laughs> with AP. You can follow Tom now at APnews.com. Karen Finney joins us next, Democratic Strategist. Where are the Democrats going in 2018? Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, uh, S-hole or S-house. What's the difference? He is still making derogatory comments about certain nations and anybody of color. What do you say, folks? Great to see you. Hello, hello, hello. It is the Thursday. No, come on, Bill. Tuesday. I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to move the week along, man. I can't wait to get to Friday. I don't blame you. It is Tuesday, January 16th. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. You know how it works. We're booming out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. And there is uh, lots and lots and lots to talk about today. Yes, uh, Donald Trump celebrating Martin Luther King Day the way he celebrates any weekend day. He just went to the golf course, Martin Luther King. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing as far as Donald Trump is concerned. Um, and uh, meanwhile, uh, his comments, uh, derogatory comments about certain nations from uh, Central America and certain nations from uh, Africa— uh, and the skin color of the people who come from those countries uh, continues to embroil Washington, D.C., and basically derail any chances of getting a, uh, a deal on immigration before the end of the week. It looks like if they avoid a government shutdown, they'll do so by just uh, doing another temporary Band-Aid spending bill and still put off the Dreamers for consideration uh, later in January or February sometime, hopefully before the deadline of March 5. All of that coming up uh, with uh, today's uh, special guest. Karen Finney is a former senior advisor to the Hillary Clinton for President campaign and a longtime Democratic strategist and a great friend who joins us in studio. We'll talk about where the Democrats are going in 2018. Hi, Karen. Hey, good to see you, Bill. How are you? I'm you good. Better now. <laughs> Better this year. <laughs> yeah, right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Great to see you. We'll dive right into it with all of you and with Karen. Don't forget, always uh, send your comments on Twitter. Don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. Take it over. <laughs> take it back. Send us your comments on Twitter about anything we're talking about. At BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first... 
Just a couple of other stories making news. Remember net neutrality, right? Oh, Donald yeah. Trump's mm-hmm. FCC commissioner came out and uh, said that he was doing away with net neutrality. Well, this is a very, very interesting turn in the story. 50 senators have come forth to endorse a legislative measure which would override the FCC's recent decision to deregulate the broadband industry. That is according really? to the Washington Whoa. Post. Now, huh. I'm not sure how they're going to make that happen, but they are just one Republican vote shy of the 51 required to pass a Senate resolution of disapproval. Now, I'm not sure what happens then and how that works out and what the Trump administration or the FCC would do, but that's pretty interesting to me. Well, I think Congress could over... If they pass a law, it'll override, it'll override the, the, FCC. the FCC. So they got to get that one other Republican vote. Will any Republicans break rank to do it? Any more Republicans break rank to do it? I, don't uh, know. I think that you know, I think that's growing public support for net neutrality. It's, it's certainly anti-consumer what they did. Of and course. Yeah. All right. Good All luck. right. So we go to the UK where there is a supermarket mm-hmm. chain there called Iceland. Not to be confused with the country really? of Iceland. Oh. There is a, a supermarket that's chain weird. called Iceland. Well, they announced yesterday they are going to get rid of plastic. Not plastic bags, plastic altogether. No plastic packaging at all in the store on its own label product. So, in other words, yeah. you know, you go to the stores and they have their own brand. Like their Safeway brand of exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. None of them will have any plastic in them at all. They have more than 900 stores, and they say they're going to get this done in the next five years. They have 1,400 products. Uh, and they're going to change all of the packaging for them. Good for them, but what are they going to use? I wonder. I recyclable don't know. material. I mean, recyclable I guess, material right? for sure. They say that they have wood pulp alternatives that are out there, like cardboard. I would imagine is some form of that. <laughs> but uh, they're going. They use plastic bags for frozen vegetables and things like that. They're going to get rid of all of it. They're going to get rid of all plastic. You know, packaging is so important. To think about the waste in packaging, most packaging, not recyclable stuff. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, the debate, I get lost in this debate. Was it S-hole or S-house? And does it really make any difference? We know what he was saying. He was saying we need more white people here and we don't want any more people of color. That's what the President of the United States is saying. Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday, January 16. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. The Bill Press Show as we boom out to you live coast to coast all across this great land of ours. We start out in Washington, D.C. We end up wherever you are uh, in the United States of America or around the world. Uh, joining you um, every way we can online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us online. Joining you on TV as well on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network all across the country. And... Uh, on the radio out in Chicago on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Here joining us in studio, Karen Finney, Democratic strategist and uh, former senior spokesperson for the Clinton for President campaign, where we saw her uh, daily multiple times on all the cable (laughs) channels. Uh, It's it's sort of a slower 
slower pace this year, isn't it, Karen? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Maybe a little bit, but I a think it's going to heat up quite a bit if, uh, if oh, the yeah. first few days are any indication. This is a big year, 2018, yeah. for many reasons. Uh, are you feeling optimistic about 2018? I am feeling optimistic. I'm feeling optimistic for a, a number of reasons. Number one, we've got so many great candidates all the way up and down the ballot. I mean, you've got people running in local races and their state legislative races, in addition to Senate and House and governorships, uh, people are raising their hands and, and getting out there. So I feel encouraged that we've got so many great candidates and new faces, a lot of, you know, different people saying, OK, this is the first time I've ever run for anything. And secondly, because uh, I think for, uh, you know, the there's such a great enthusiasm and energy. And I think what we've seen, you know, I talk about this as going from moment to movement. We saw so much energy in the aftermath of 2016 uh, from the women's move, from the women's march uh, to, you know, again, wonderful victories in Alabama and Virginia and New Jersey. But throughout the year, we saw a lot of activity and a lot of wonderful organizations coming together. And so I think as we go from this moment to really creating a movement, a sustainable movement, and I liken it to, uh, after talking to my, my parents have helped me really think this, think about this, in the civil rights movement where, mm -hmm. you know, there was a, you know, there were lots <laughs> of important things, there were moments that happened, but how do you coalesce that into a movement for change? And I believe that's what we're seeing. And that's, you know, part of what I'm here to talk to you about is what the Women's National Democratic Club is doing on January 23rd is bringing groups together and bringing candidates together to, to talk about how do we make sure we have a, a message, but also how do we make sure we're organized? Uh, you know, I think they part of what we're seeing here is really trying to scale up what mm -hmm. we did, what was done in Alabama and Virginia and and say, OK, as groups, how do we come together um, with the DNC, with the candidates and make sure that we are doing the work we need to do to win. Well, first of all, uh, there's so much talk, which annoys the hell out of me, about uh, who's best for 2020. And I keep saying, no, 2018 is what we ought to be focused on. Absolutely. Why is 2018 so important? 2018 is, is critical <laughs> for, for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, I mean, if you live in a state, who the governor is matters. We saw that in the I mean, just think about Obamacare, right? If you if your governor decided not to take the Medicaid money, you are in trouble. And so if you have a governor who says that was important, I mean, that's this is one example of why that role is so important. Um, the state legislatures, as we know, we've got redistricting coming up. And so state legislative races, it's something we as Democrats did not pay close enough attention to, quite frankly, going into 2010 redistricting. And look what happened. So redistricting, we know, is critical. And those state legislative races are critical. And, and frankly, state legislative races are critical in part because you know, a lot of the damage that can be done happens at the state level. So who's in the, who controls the legislature and who the governor is really matters. But then also when we're talking about the House and the Senate, really critical if we're going to have an opportunity to put a check on Donald Trump, uh, which Lord knows we need it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, and that's you know, that can't be our only message. We've got to offer something positive and talk about well, what we would right. do differently. But so I think the opportunity is important uh, in 2018. And the other thing I would say, Bill, that I think is so important is it is a one it is an important way for us to really organize. I mean, I would love to see us organize in 2018 and stay organized going into 2020 so that we are a strong progressive movement. I want to see that energy continue throughout 
you know, 2019, frankly, because that's what we need to do. You know, my former boss, Howard Dean, when I worked at the DNC, the 50-state strategy. The, Absolutely. He, right? He Absolutely. used to say, yeah. we got to run a permanent campaign, and we got to be there on the ground all the time talking to people. Right. So as Democrats come into 2018, um, as you say, Trump's a disaster. We know that. But pointing that out is not enough. That's right. right. That's right. So what is the counter-democratic message as you see it? And sure. it's still, you know, it's still shaping. Sure. But, but Well, I think there's two pieces, right? Number one, I think, you know, we need to hold every Republican elected official accountable for Donald Trump. This is now Donald Trump's Republican Party. So I think that is perfectly fair. And we saw, <clears throat> think about the members we saw. I mean, it shouldn't be no. hard to say that calling countries an asshole is out of bounds. And for some Republicans, they stepped up and said that. Some, Well, not many. <laughs> not many. And, yeah. and plenty were like, oh, I didn't hear that. Well, gee, right. I'm not sure. No, no more of that. On the positive frame... But by, by, just on yeah. that, to reinforce that point, because there are too many people who's, who isolate Donald Trump mm-hmm. and say it's not the Republican Party. Peter makes this point a lot. It's not the Republican Party. It's Donald Trump. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's all the Republicans are That's in, right. uh, together on this. I mean, they all... That's right. Vote for Donald Trump stuff. Support Donald Trump. You know, well, look at the, look at them now falling on their sword for Donald Trump over this asshole comment. Uh, well, it, it, so, you, every single Republican, I believe, up and down the ballot. Yep, absolutely. Where do you stand for Donald Trump? For That's right. Vote? That's right. And I'll tell. I'll give you Hold an example. Them accountable. I'll give you an example, Bill. I mean, this to me is a return of the Republican culture of corruption on steroids. I mean, they are the Republicans in Congress are protecting him on this yes. Russia investigation. Investigation. They're actually making it harder to get to the truth in some instances. Now, if that doesn't make you accountable, I don't know what does, right? So, on the positive, though, I think we need to be talking about. And part of what we're going to do at this summit is, you know, again, I think it's really important we're listening to candidates and listening to people at the grassroots in terms of what their concerns are, what they want to hear about. I certainly think that part of what we need to be talking about is a more is inclusion and how our country is, you know, if you think about DACA and immigration and our economy, I mean, it's this isn't just a nice to do. This, there's actually an economic imperative for inclusion that we need everybody to be part of the workforce. You know, this is a country that welcomes immigrants. This is a country that is made of immigrants. So I think inclusion is really important. Um, I think jobs and, and not just jobs, but better jobs. Because I think one of the things that we're seeing, as you know, is we need to increase the quality of jobs that that people have. Uh, I think we're about freedom, quite frankly. And by that, I say, you know, I you know, you're not free when you are, you know, beholden to the insurance companies or you are beholden to, you know, a, a, a job that's not paying you what you need to to a living wage to actually take care of your family. And frankly, I think freedom also means we're uh, we should care that the Russians and other you know actors may be trying to influence our election. So I think. We're about jobs. We're about freedom. And I think we're about opportunity, quite frankly. Now, that's not that's just my opinion. That's not yeah, the official yeah. message. Pretty, yes, I'll <laughs> but, buy it. That's good. But I think that's what. Well, it, but I think can I, if I could just say one yeah. other thing, I think also in this Me Too movement, we've got to understand that we're not just talking. I mean, there's an economic element to that, too. 
and and it and it's why equal pay matters. It's why you know that lifts families. I mean, that's about opportunity. That's about you know economic freedom, right? And the ability to take care of yourself and your family. So that to me are some of the themes I I hope we'll talk about. But that's what we're gonna be talking about on the twenty third. Well, I was gonna say okay. Now on the twenty third, you referenced that a couple of times. Yep. What is happening on the twenty third? Who's there? Where? And how, <laughs> you know. And... So on, on the twenty third, I want people to go to the website democraticwomen.org backslash events if you want to attend and i'm going to tell right. you the event right now so is we'll, peter we'll put that up on our website democratic org backslash events okay for sure and the event is basically it's at the national women's democratic club here in washington dc and they're bringing together for the first time we've got folks from the dnc coming we've got candidates coming they've got uh grassroots groups some of the the very folks you know that we saw out there working so hard uh, in uh, Alabama and Virginia and New Jersey, all coming together essentially to talk about, you know, our messaging and uh, how do you, part of what I'm going to be talking about is how do you, how do you create a message and then talk about that message? What, what, what's important about a message? And obviously, you know, to, to my mind, what that means is, a, we've got to be talking about uh, the issues and the things that people care most about. And I think we've got to be talking about it from our values. You know, Governor Dean used to always say it's a sign of respect to show up and ask people for their vote. And part of doing that is listening mm. to people. And so part of what this summit is going to be about is listening to each other and, and how do we distill that into a few simple ideas, knowing that how you win in, you know, uh, Texas may not be the same way you win in Florida, but we still have core values as a progressive movement that we need to be talking about. And so this comes just about on the one year anniversary of the March, Women's <laughs> March in Washington, right? It, it does. And I, I know that, and, and unfortunately, about a year since, you know, the orange menace came, yeah. <laughs> became yeah. official. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so it's a way, I think what's really important and what the Women's National Democratic Club is really trying to do with this effort is galvanize this energy and make sure that we are organized to keep it going. Make sure that we are leveraging all of our, our assets in terms of, you know, different groups are, diff are good at different parts of the puzzle. So let's make sure we pull that, those puzzle pieces together to have a really great strategy. Is there another March planned? I, I I believe I, this year there I are there is a march. Heard about some <laughs> around the country. I don't know. If there's one big one in Washington, but I think people are are going local this time. Um, and look, I think what's important is I'm glad to see. I believe a lot of the same women that you probably saw out marching are now running for office. Oh yeah, which yeah. is great because we need women's leadership. I can no. tell you that. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I think Emily's Emily's list, uh, which is done, does does such a great job. Yeah. Of training particular women candidates. Absolutely. School pro board, choice, yep. city council, pro-choice, Democratic women. They've got 15,000, I think, signed up this year running for that's right. everything from Senate to city council, school that's board. That's right. And that's yeah, how it should incredible. be. It should be, you know, regular people stepping up and running for office. Um, and I think the other thing that is so important is we've got to remember as a progressive movement, it's important to keep that pipeline Keep that pipeline, whether you you may start at city council or the school board, you could end up being president. You could end up being senator or governor. I mean, that's what we want. We want people to come up through through our pipeline and stay engaged. Now, there was a very healthy primary in uh, 2016. Mm. Uh, you were on one side. I was on the other side. Yes. But we were really on the, I, I believe, some 
my friends don't agree. We were on the same side. I agree with that. Uh, really. And uh, and I was an enthusiastic supporter of Hillary Clinton. I've always loved her. Uh, I just felt that we needed a good, healthy primary in yeah. 2016. But to a certain extent, that debate still goes on between where should the Democratic Party, I'm not talking about candidates now, yeah. but where should the Democratic Party, are we a progressive party yep. or more a mainstream party, I guess? We're certainly left, all everybody, left of center, right? Yeah. But what, sure. where, is that a legitimate debate? Is it an important debate? And where is it going now? What is your take? Look, I think it's an important debate, but I think it's also important for us to remember that it certainly feels to me like that is a conversation that you, I mean, it's like in life, right? You're always... Uh, thinking about who you are and what you believe and and hopefully challenging what, you know, your beliefs are challenged. That doesn't mean you don't have a core. And I think that's, to me, what I see our party going through, which is, and part of why the debate is so important is that's how we move forward. I mean, think about where we were on marriage equality. And, you know, we are now in a very different place as as a party and as a movement and as a country. So I think those conversations are healthy, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that uh, challenge contested primaries are a good thing because I think it can be very clarifying for people about where they stand. Um, and I think uh, in in this case, I think the party is going through, and, the, and as a movement, I think we're really uh, challenging ourselves to say, and, and look, you know, you, you and I have been around a, a while in this game, and there are a lot of issues that people say are liberal, like pay equity, which I don't see that as a liberal issue. I see that as a pretty mainstream talking economic about, issue, right? about values. Exactly. I mean, but, look at this latest flap with Michelle Williams and uh, Mark, whatever his name is. Um, Mark Wahlberg. 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 Yeah. yeah. I mean, good for him for giving his money away, but... Whoever made that decision to pay her eighty bucks a day and pay right. him a million and a half? Well, but I mean, you know, Jesus. but here's what's so important. This is Hollywood. It is. <laughs> I know. But here's what's liberal in, Hollywood. Here's what's important about that, and this goes back to those core values. We should value her work the same way we value his work. Of course. And her people should have cut, made a better deal. His good for his people for making such a good deal for him. They had the same agent. Yeah. So shame <laughs> on her agents yeah. for yes. not fighting for her. Yes. And that's got that's the core value right there, right? And shame on the stu- you know, shame on everybody who made those decisions. I mean, it's great for Mark Wahlberg that he's given up the money, but it's not his fault that he is her people, same people didn't make a good deal. That's what we have to stay focused on. That's a that is a core value. And that's the kind of conversation I think we have to be talking about. Look, to, to my mind, though, there are certain things, uh, you know, I believe I'm a pro-choice woman. I'm on the board of NARAL. So to me, that is a core value. Uh, the idea that women should be able to make their own decisions about their bodies. I think that is critical. I mean, there are certain core issues where I think uh, that seem to be core to the Democratic Party. Some folks may think it's okay on the margins. Sure. I mean, I think we can always have a conversation and try to talk with people about these issues and try to, you know, move the, you know, move the ball forward. I think that's a good thing. You, you mentioned uh, the DNC, and um, and we've come to know Tom Perez uh, really well. He's in he's in frequently. Um, uh, he certainly is a believer in the Howard Dean strategy mm-hmm. of uh, we have to be and have candidates in every district, in yep. every seat, red districts as well as blue districts. Every zip code counts. That's right. Um, do you see the energy today? Um, with the DNC or with the grassroots organizations? So, 
I think that the DNC, so I, I see more of it in the grassroots on the outside, but having been at the DNC in, in you know, 2000, from 2005 to 2009 with Howard Dean, uh, that doesn't surprise me quite although i would say <clears throat> i think what we're seeing at the grass in the grassroots right now is unlike anything we've seen in a very long time <clears throat> i think what the dnc is also wise though is trying to figure out how do we um partner with outside organizations if that's where the energy it rather you know don't yeah. try to control it don't try to fight it great if people are engaged that's what matters and so how do we partner and that's so i'm pleased to see that i think for Tom, I mean, he came in with a, a tough situation in that there was debt from the campaign. Um, and and uh, so I think he's trying to really rebuild that up. And certainly what I hope happens is that through 2018, he is able to, you know, rebuild our parties in the states so that going into 2020, we've got both. We've mm -hmm. got the energy. We've got the really strong grassroots outside the party, but then a really strong infrastructure inside the party because there are things that the party does uh, at the state level that that really matters um and so and and look again we've got to be able to have as we said at the beginning we've got to be able to have this conversation with people every day everywhere about who we are and what we stand for because if we're not there they only hear the other side right so right. we've got to make sure that that's that we're there but on the grassroots organizations i mean i must say i'm there, there's so many of them and every time i mention them i i, I i'm Sorry. afraid that i forget somebody but but if you but if you look at i mentioned emily's list moveon.org our revolution indivisible run for something i think yeah. is the name of that color of change color of change they uh, woke vote black pack there you go you go i know right. and they are all I think they're incredible. <laughs> <laughs> just to get her, I mean, I'm just trying to think. You know, they're all popping into you know, my head. You know, more Civic than more fun. than I do. Yeah, but well, they're I've been all... trying to stay on top of what's going on because and it's exciting. I've never seen is. this kind of uh, energy. They're out there. They're recruiting candidates. They're training candidates. They're raising money. Small dot contributions. Yeah, they're in races and they're winning seats for yes. You know, state assembly, flipping state uh, state legislative seats. That's right. Mayor's races, the mayor of Bur Bur Birmingham, Alabama, the yes. new mayor down there. I mean, it's exciting it's, what's going on. It's very Picking exciting. Picking up seats in Oklahoma, you know, I mean. And, and you know what I hope we learn from that, though, Bill? And that's not, again, a Washington-directed right. or, or, or dominated uh, effort campaign. Yep. It's really coming from the grassroots up, which and is so exciting. It is very exciting. And I hope that we learn from this and from, from 2017 <laughs> We have to stop saying, well, we can't win there. We can win everywhere. We can win anywhere. If we have you know, good candidates and we work hard, we can win anywhere. I mean, people were winning you know, some of the down-ballot races, as you know, in 2017. <clears throat> excuse me. We ran in places that were gerrymandered and not in our favor yeah. because people turned out. So, uh, look at Virginia, right? That's right. We had a, we had a candidate in every single seat for the House of Delegates. That's right. And... Except for a fluke, that's, I mean, uh, <laughs> we're that, down that, by that's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're down by one. But that's I mean, right. Yeah, who says one vote doesn't count, right? Every that, vote doesn't count. I but. mean, in the, hey, if that's not the message from 2016 and 2017, like every vote counts, and your vote matters. I hope people are, you know, really heeding that message. And look, the so, most sorry, I was just going to say yeah. the most important thing about the, what's happening at the grassroots is also that. It's saying to people, you matter and you can be involved in the way that is relevant to you, that is authentic to what you want to do. If you want to 
register voters or you want to focus on women or you want to focus on the Latino community or the African-American community or you want to focus on this mayor's race or you want to work on a governor's race. I mean, the point is that it is empowering people on a daily basis to be involved in a way that is uh, most authentic to their lives. And that is critical. And people who um, are watching or listening who have not yet plugged in mm-hmm. but kind of feel the urge to, what do they do? How, how well, do they connect? Well, they can do a couple things. Number one, you can sign up to come to the event on the 23rd go, at right. the Women's National Democratic again, Club. Which is, uh, again, to... Democraticwomen.org. Slash events, huh? Backslash events, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, and you can come to the event on the 23rd. Uh, you can also Google the uh, uh, Women's National Democratic Club and, and find out more. But also then find out, find out what's going on in your, in your area uh, if you want. I mean, Indivisible has local chapters. You can go to, you know, check out what Color of Change is up to. Check out what Voto Latino is up to. Uh, see if there's, you know what you can also do? Open your paper and see who, what are the local races? Do you like any of the candidates who are running? I worked with students last in the fall semester and I kept saying, look, if there's a candidate that you like, just go volunteer because it's great experience. And if it's someone that, you know, working for someone that you like and you believe in is a great experience and, and you will have helped to, to make that happen. So, uh, you know, plug into one of the organizations. You can also go to Democrats.org and find out what the party is doing. I think I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as someone who worked in the Democratic Party, I think part of how we change is from the inside. We've got to be at the table to help bring change. Uh, and like I say, see what's going on in your community uh, that you want to get involved in. The other thing, too, that I think the last thing I'll say, Bill, is it may not be a candidate. It may be an issue like like sure. DACA or immigration sure. reform or climate change. I mean, there's a lot going on that is also issue based. So it could be, you know, abortion rights, you know, come to NARAL and, and see what we're up to. Uh, Planned Parenthood. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful organizations doing a lot of great work. Um, and it's wonderful to have this reinvigoration by the grassroots. So you've been at this for uh, a long time. A while. (laughs) (laughs) In kindergarten. (laughs) Kidding. Uh, And you're damn good at it. And so now we're talking about young people, we're talking about people with energy and people who really care and have a core sense of values and and encouraging them to uh, even step up and and make the plunge and run for office. Uh, Why not you? (laughs) <laughs> well, first of all, why haven't you ever run for office or have you? I've never run for office. Well, why not now? Why aren't you out there? Well, uh, I, we live in you, what what district do you live in? I live in the District of Columbia. All right, well, move. We've got a great mayor. Move. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, yeah, mayor, fine. I was just thinking of Congress, right? I know. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, in DC, yeah. right? We we you know, we're yeah. we're, we're limi- sort of we're limited. limited in DC, right? In what we can do. Uh, you I know, mean, have you thought about it? And, and uh, you, 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 as an example, why haven't you made the plunge? Because <laughs> um, I'm not crazy. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know that's the wrong message. <laughs> that's the wrong like, message. You like a private life. <laughs> that like, is the wrong message. Look, I mean, it's 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 a you know, uh, I because I guess for me personally, I like helping get people elected. I like helping people on that journey. Um, and I really enjoy um, the pro- helping to bring about change uh, through other processes. My dad was a civil rights lawyer. My mom's a social worker. Uh, both my father's passed. My mom's retired. And so 
you know, for me, the fight is I have found other ways to fight for the, for the issues that I care about. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never say never. Which, you by know. the way, is totally legitimate. Yeah. Not everybody can be the candidate. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It takes, a, takes a village. <laughs> it take it does take a, it does take a village. And I, look, I also think, uh, you know, Bill, and this is part of why what you're doing is so important. And you know this, like, it's also important for us to have voices outside of the process that help push the process along and help push the issues along. And that's kind of where I felt like I ha- can contribute best is to try to point things out. I mean, you were talking earlier about, you know, the president's, you know, the asshole comments. And like we said, you know, what we know he's an ass. <laughs> I hope I can say that on, on yes, your show. Yes. We know that. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Right. And I think that and so I think being a part of you know, let's helping us stay focused on what really matters and and helping good people get elected. That that's where I see my role. All right. No. That's How about a you? Very, that's a very look. I'm doing my thing, but I was a, I was a candidate at one time too, and that's uh, true, voters that's true. The voters decided uh, they wanted somebody else. So that's fine. So I just jumped back into the media. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they made a mistake, but uh, oh, we'll just, still. No, take we're you, lucky Bill. to have you on <laughs> the airwaves, Bill. That's the most important thing. Karen Finney, thanks so much for what you're doing, and thanks for coming in today. And you know, give them hell on January 23rd. Will indeed, we will. All right, All right, great. And when we come back, Victoria Jones joins us, uh, White House correspondent for um, the new. Oh damn, I forget. She was with Talk News Radio. Yeah. And now with. Uh, we'll talk to Victoria when we come. All right, <laughs> good to Victoria. Thanks, Karen. Great to see you. We'll good be to right see back. You, Bill. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go now on this Tuesday, January 16. Moving right along and wrapping up the Bill Press Show for this fine Tuesday. And I uh, thanks for being with us. I noticed during the break that um, this is ironic. Donald Trump has um, announced he has signed a proclamation declaring today, January 16, as Religious Freedom Day. Whatever that means. Uh, well, what it means, I guess, what does is that, that mean? everybody in the United States has religious freedom, except Muslims, of course. They're not yeah, allowed. Right. To. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we're going to throw all of them out. So, yeah, uh, he, he does this stuff that's so contradictory. It does make your head spin sometimes. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't know what the hell he signed or why he signed it. Uh, He just did it because uh, John Kelly put it in front of him. Of course he hasn't signed it yet. Maybe he did that before the weekend because we know he doesn't even get to the Oval Office until about three hours from now uh, when he prances in, having watched all the television he wants to watch uh, first of all. Uh, And how did, you might ask, Donald Trump spend... Martin Luther King Day. Well, of course, he spent it the same way that Bill Clinton, President, or President George W. Bush, or President Barack Obama spent Martin Luther King Day in the spirit of Martin Luther King, which has become a tradition for American presidents. Uh, The president went out with his family and performed some act of public service, like President Obama and his family, the girls, and, uh, and the first lady would go to Martha's table here in Washington, D.C., and uh, dish out uh, a meal, lunch or dinner, what well, usually lunchtime, for homeless people in Washington as a way of following through with the great um, legend and uh, example of Martin Luther King Jr. in reaching out to help those uh, who need help the most and those who are less fortunate among us. That's the spirit in which Donald Trump 
spent Martin Luther King Day, you think? Really? <laughs> no, not quite. President of the United States, president of all the people. He didn't do anything at all to mark Martin Luther King Day except go to the golf course. Yet, once again, the same thing he did on Saturday, the same thing he did on Sunday, and the same thing he did on Monday, which does raise the question about Donald Trump on the golf course again. I thought it was worth looking because we remember how much Republicans and Donald Trump himself in particular uh, piled on to Barack Obama as president with all the golf that they said, all the golf he was playing, which they said was he was abusing the office of, uh, of president by playing so much golf, spending so much time on the golf course uh, when he should have been at the Oval Office doing his heavy lifting. Well, here are the numbers, uh, just in case you were thinking the same thing, wondering the same thing I was. In eight years, according to Associated Press, um, Barack Obama played, actually, 333 rounds of golf. In eight years, Barack Obama. Now, uh, that's a lot of golf. Uh, it's more than I ever played in eight years when I was playing golf. Uh, but that's over eight years, 333 rounds of golf. Uh, so far in his presidency, as of yesterday, counting yesterday, Donald Trump has played 95 rounds of golf already, already, 95, which means at this pace, were his presidency to drag on, God forbid, for eight years, Donald Trump would have played a record 772 rounds of golf uh, in eight years compared to 333 for Barack Obama. So shall we just say maybe Republicans ought to lay off Barack Obama and how much golf he played. They shouldn't have done it in the first place. And it is pure hypocrisy now for Donald Trump to spend so much time on the golf course. Although, I add, I would rather have him on the golf course than in the Oval Office. I think he could do less damage to the country that way. Look who's here, Victoria Jones. Hello, Victoria. Hello. So good to see you. Are you discriminating against a healthy lifestyle and the ancient game of golf? Um, I don't think uh, having, <laughs> That's one way to put it. having been a golfer, uh, unless you're walking 18 holes, there's not much well, exercise in golf. And by the way, it's just still then there's not that much exercise, but there's a, you know, you'll get your steps in that way. 18 holes on a real golf course. On a real golf, a real course, golf course, you get your, you get your, you get your 10,000 steps in. Yeah. But Donald Trump doesn't walk the course. No, he no, doesn't walk no. the course. No. Uh, he, he doesn't, doesn't walk, walk anywhere. When he, when, when, he, when he has his photo taken with other world leaders <laughs> and they walk the, 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 the 100 yards, he takes the no. golf cart. He cuts. takes the golf yeah. cart. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. So it's good to see you. Good Thank you so you. much. Happy New Sorry Year. I'm late. You have a new job. Um, I, uh, I, I am uh, Washington, Chief Washington Correspondent with DC Radio Company, and uh, yes, and I'm doing numerous exciting things. DC Radio DC Company. DC Radio Company, So yes. where, where, where can people find you now? Uh, well, they can find me um, on, uh, on Twitter. Is it dot org or dcradio.com? No, no, no. I, uh, you can't find me there, actually. Oh, oh But okay. you can find me at Twitter. Oh, good where I rarely tweet because I forget, although I've just got a new alarm clock called Dawn Chorus. I, this is, I'm a bit ADD because the red line was messed up on the Metro and it's oh. thrown me off. But there's this app called Dawn Chorus. 
Dawn. D A W N. Dawn. That's Dawn. how you okay. pronounce it. It's okay. called Dawn. Dawn. It's got Dawn. a W in it. Yeah. Dawn. It's just, yeah. Dawn Chorus. Dawn Chorus. I have to tell you, uh, if, for anybody who has trouble waking up in the morning, as we do, and it's unbelievable, some wonderful geeky guy has got 12 different birds, and there's little birds on it, and you can aggregate them, put like two or three together of birds birds tweeting and um, put them together and set your alarm and you'll get like three birds tw making their warbly noises at you literally in the morning. And if you have a cat oh. on your bed, the cat will utterly freak. And it's the most wonderful way to wake up. You have birdsong in your bedroom. What's why not classical music or rock and roll or something? You could do that, but this is different. This is different. Yeah, it's Dawn Chorus. Dawn dot, Chorus. Dot, just called, it's just Dawn Chorus. That's the name of the app. Oh, oh, I see. So there's the bird screaming to wake you up. That's you know, the bird I'll screaming wake, noise. I'll wake yeah. you up. I'll do it. Get out of bed. Uh, what's that what she bird? Done with her head? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what bird. So it's some bird of prey. <laughs> Sounded like um, um, a pterodactyl to me. Yeah, <laughs> it did. So, um, <laughs> do it. you don't want that bird waking you up. No, no. Um, all right. So the big the big question now at the White House is, um, did he say S hole or did he say S house? I'm glad you raised that question. What does your reporting tell you and what difference does it make? Well, you know, I was stuck on the red line this morning. Okay. And I've actually been giving this some deep <laughs> philosophical thought because initially um, Senators Perdue and Cotton said they couldn't remember what he said mm -hmm. and then pushed. They said that he said poo house, not poo yes. hole. Right. And I've been thinking about this and I think poo house is worse than poo hole. <laughs> because? Because a poo hole is just a poo hole. Mm -hmm. A poo house is the entire place where you go for multiple poo holes to do their business. It is far more insulting to call a country mm -hmm. a poo house mm -hmm. than one individual poo hole. You're saying a country is an entire right. toilet. Right. right. It's a toilet. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're saying no, your I... country is a toilet. <laughs> The whole country. The whole country I, is a toilet. I have yes. to say, I give Victoria a lot of credit. She came this, up with the most creative way to, to like discuss this. I, 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 it, it had never occurred to me. It's not an anus. Heard, it's a toilet. And I've heard nobody else uh, talk about it that way. Yes. I think but, I'm English. We think about oh, orifices. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that a particularly English thing? Yes. Well, we well, are. Yeah, we do. A lot of our humor is about oh, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, but the impact, whichever word, right? The impact is the same. It's appalling. Right. I mean, what the man is saying is followed by what we need is not people from those countries. We need people from Norway, Norway. Yeah. and Asia, apparently. Oh, he didn't. I don't think he added that, did he? I well, heard the, that. the the post has a big background story today uh -huh. about the background to the meeting and what went on, and apparently there were references I read part of it. to I didn't the, read to that the part. CBC, and uh, but also the the night of the meeting, because uh, he apparently was quite pleased with what he said, yes. and he wasn't yes. worried. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. 
And Dina Powell was leaving, and they all went off to Cafe Milano, a high-class Italian popular mm -hmm. uh, restaurant. And um, nobody was worried about his remarks because he was so pleased with them. He wasn't concerned about the He reporting. was calling friends and talking about it, joking yeah. about it, right? Yeah. And they all went off, and nobody thought to push back that night because they all thought that it was okay until they realized that it was exploding around the world. But why would they not think that... How could they have such tinny ears? The kind that you would have in a very, very poor toilet. What... Um, Made of tin. Is the president a racist? I think that... I mean, I don't know what's in anybody's heart. But I think that... And I don't know how... I've often thought... I'd like to ask him, what do you think that means, sir? What do you think a racist is? Because I don't know what he understands by that. But I think that um, if you ask almost any person of color, they would say that they feel that he is and they think that he is and their experience of his policies is that of somebody who is in in fact um republican congresswoman Ileana ross leighton who is retiring from florida uh, another well conservative republican said a couple of days ago if that's referring to his comments uh if that's not racist i don't know what is i mean it's not just democrats who have said that these are racist comments on the part of the president of the united states yesterday there was a uh, um protest uh, of Martin Luther King Day, protesting Donald Trump's remarks, uh, around several of them around the country. Uh, one was up in uh, Times Square in New York City where a reporter actually asked people what they thought. Here's a little clip there from the protest yesterday. I believe Donald Trump is a racist. Yes, seems like he's just a racist. Is President Trump a racist? Yes, 100%. 100%, he says, right. So that's, that's certainly the perception around the world. And there's an uh, article in the New York Times this morning where several African nations are uh, issuing proclamations condemning uh, this remark. One of the most, I don't know whether you heard this, but one of the most interesting things I think happened is, um, Peter, let's go back to church. Um, Vice President Pence and his wife, mother, uh, went to the Metropolitan Baptist Church here, just outside of Washington, on Sunday. And the pastor, Maurice Watson, was not going to let the opportunity go to talk about the president's remarks. Uh, here he is with a, a beautiful little background music. It is alleged that a hurtful, dehumanizing, visceral, guttural, ugly, adjective that I care not to repeat in church was allegedly used to characterize some of the nations of Africa. Ah, and he went on to denounce that. What do you think of your Mike Pence sitting there? <laughs> I mean, you, you sort of must uh, like grind yourself into the seat. <laughs> yeah. I don't 
know if there was any video of his face or not. I, I haven't seen any. Peter, have we seen? I haven't seen any video of that, I don't think. No. Must have been, as we say in my old country, a rare treat. <laughs> yes. Uh, Some of the reports from it said, were saying that Mike Pence was red-faced as the pastor was over. Because this wow. was, he went on a, a, a went on fairly long yeah. uh, 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 tirade about it. And Mike Pence and Mother just sat there, and Mike Pence's face became just crimson with either anger or embarrassment or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he was what, not happy. What would you, that, why, you picked that week to go, what what would you expect? I mean, to his credit, at least he felt it was important to do something to mark the anniversary, uh, to, to mark Martin Luther King Day, right? Donald Trump. The president did also. He played golf. He played golf. That's right. Yeah, he celebrated in his own fashion. In his own fashion. Yeah. as he, um, That's so, how he celebrates most things. So last week, the president announced, uh, I've changed my plans. I'm not going to stop in the U.K. Ah. to cut the ribbon for the new embassy. Yeah. I end, my impression is that the people of the U.K. were not too disappointed with that decision. Actually, they may have welcomed it. What was the reaction? Well, the reaction was uh, on on multiple fronts. Um, well, actually, the reaction was, "Oh, good then," <laughs> or "Righty." Um, yeah, no, the the reaction was. He's, he's words not... we we can't. Um, yeah. Well, I got so, I got some texts from my nephew Oliver um, about mm-hmm. the president. Um, Oliver's texts. He's about thirty one. And uh, he's a former tank commander in Afghanistan and a uh, very, very fun guy. And um, we tend to text in one word tweets to each other. And his tweets usually are about the president. He did a lot of, did a lot of um, international studies, political stuff. He's been to the White House Correspondence Dinner I've with me. You've met you. him, yes. right, in his Scots yes. Guards. Right, yes. you've met he Oliver. Was all in, he was all in uniform. Very yes, funny he's... guy. His texts invariably start with a four-letter word. Go... <laughs> Yes. That's his first word. That's a one-word text. The next word is a five-letter word starting with T. And his third word, word one-word text is mental. <laughs> this is what he then says. Yeah. And so, but this this time it was things like, thank you. It's like no nobody. But then we had this bizarre um, event towards the end of last week of London Mayor Sadiq Khan who is mm-hmm. not a friend of the president's, giving a, giving a speech, and these pro-Trumpites showing up at Sadiq Khan's speech to make a citizen's arrest <laughs> of Khan on behalf of Trump. Oh. They did, and with all sorts of with placards and things. Oh, God. And they were laughed out of town, and Sadiq Khan, who's very eloquent, like just denounced them, and everybody was going, you know, where did they come from? Did they impo- import them from Alabama like, or they somewhere? They were like pro-American, but I think they were British. But it was like, we just don't, we're not we're not doing that. Yeah, we're just not. We've got UKIP. You know, we've got Nigel Farage. He's our one lunatic. Can have one lunatic over at the side. <laughs> yeah. Just let him get on. And we've got that weird woman lunatic that Trump retweeted. Yes, yes, right. Have her. Pretty dangerous. Very yeah. dangerous. Uh, and he also got his facts wrong, right? That this embassy 
Uh, he wasn't going. He blamed it on Barack Obama. The reason yes. he wasn't going was because Barack Obama sold the old embassy for peanuts. Peanuts. Right. Yes. And they replaced the old embassy in a great location with this new embassy in a not-so-good location. An off location. Off. 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 Yeah. You know, it is very interesting. First of all, it was George W. Bush's, as you know. Who made that decision, not Barack Obama. Correct. And um, they really didn't have any choice. There were various duchesses and people in Grosvenor Square, which is where the uh, the embassy is. Who were one? There was one duchess who is on a hunger has been on a hunger strike about the embassy being there and about how awful it is. This duchess on a hunger strike. To so think about that. Uh, about what the about the embassy being in Grosvenor Square? She's because it's just so disruptive having the embassy oh, in, in Grosvenor Square. This is the new location, the old location. Oh, the old location. Yes. Oh, all right. So she can go off her hunger strike. She can now. Come off the hunger strike now. So that's good. Yeah, I guess. So. That's good. <laughs> Why do these Brits take themselves so seriously? Yes. A hunger strike hunger over strike. the location of it, and the embassy's been there for decades, yeah. hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, but it 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 wasn't secure. That was the problem. There was a reason to move it. It yes, wasn't yeah. secure. And they couldn't secure it. They couldn't make it more secure, that that particular building, as yeah. at least the engineers yeah. and, the, and the national security people said. The new building right. is very interesting. So you cover the White House. We see each other at the White House briefings. Um, tomorrow night, the president is going to be, at least if he sticks to schedule, uh, giving out the first annual Donald Trump fake media Awards. How do you rate the whole administ- this whole administration's attitude toward the media? Well, first of all, my money's on you. Meaning? Oh, for, that for, I'm going. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm rooting for win? you. I hope so. I would love to be the winner of a What's Donald an Trump honor? fake media award. It would be. Yes. Um, I, this is fascinating and you know very disturbing. There was um, I can't remember which which of the former ethics lawyers it was who was saying that you know if any members of his administration aid him in putting together or giving mm. out these awards yeah. they could be breaking the law i think that's very interesting i don't understand why but i did see that headline apparently it's just against the law because it's like a sort of something they shouldn't be doing but anyway it's the guy who runs crew now who said that yeah um which i thought was interesting this it just seems to me and you know i i I sometimes I do try to step back and sometimes look at things not from a partisan point of view about the president, but just from a not even a constitutional point of view. I'm not a lawyer, but just from a point of view of okay, let's just look at well doing your job as a journalist. Just, just, just look at the facts, at right? He tried to stop a book from being published. Mm-hmm. Threatened to sue the publisher. Right. We don't and have prior restraint in this country. We do in my country, where I come from, but not my new country that mm-hmm. I've been a citizen of for 22 years. We don't have that. It's odd. But this fake media was sometimes sometimes things seem unpresidential, and this just seems one of them. And um, you hear it, you see it, and we feel it, I guess, at the White House briefings, I mean, I mean, Hallie Jackson last week, I was there and asked a question about Donald Trump's FISA tweet, which did seem to be to contradict what the White House statement had issued the night before as to whether or not they supported this bill moving through the Congress. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response to the question was, that's a ridiculous question. 
I mean, you know, really, and then saying, well, I'm sorry if you were confused. I wasn't confused. I mean, literally contradicting the premise of the entire episode. And what, um, even beyond that, what was astonishing was that there were the two Pfizer tweets contradicting each other, and apparently Senator Rand Paul had spoken to the president, um, indicating that the president really didn't understand the FISA issue at all. And again, with the immigration meeting last week, first yeah. of all, speaking to Dick Durbin, saying, oh, I'm on board and on board with Lindsey Graham, and then being spoken to by Tom, John Tom. Kelly, mm-hmm. yeah. who is very uh, hot, uh, Stephen Miller, and then getting Cotton and Purdue. And this sense that he just does not, have views that are formed almost like like uh, th- uh, this is an analogy I'm not saying he is yeah. this but almost like a baby whose bones are not formed yet <laughs> and that can be bent mm-hmm. yeah and it's a cliche but it seems true that he does listen to and agree with the last person who talks to him on any particular issue which is pretty frightening and we're already in almost Almost. We can all say we've completed the first year of Donald Trump. And, uh, oh, boy. Victoria, it's great to see you. Thank you. I swear there's so much to talk about, and we've run out of time here. But you can follow Victoria on Twitter, at Jones Vic. Do that. Thanks for coming in. No, at Victoria Jones. Oh, at Victoria Jones. At Victoria Jones, D.C. Got it. See you tomorrow. Come on back. the Bill Press Show.